This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, September 20th, and I'm Doug Blair. What is a good source of news? It's certainly not CNN, it's certainly not MSNBC, but all mainstream legacy outlets seem to be having the same problem. People just don't trust them anymore. So where do you go? Well, Emily Jashinsky, a cultural editor at The Federalist and a new host of CounterPoints on the Breaking Points Network, has some ideas about the future of media. We sat down at the National Conservatism Conference in Miami, Florida last week to discuss the future of media and how Americans can be better informed. Our interview right after the break. As conservatives, sometimes it feels like we're constantly on defense against bad ideas, bad philosophy, revisionist history, junk science, and divisive politics. But here's something I've come to understand. When faced with bad ideas, it's not enough to just defend. If we want to save this country, then it's time to go on offense. Conservative principles are ideas that work. Individual responsibility, strong local communities, and belief in the American dream. As a former college professor and current president of the Heritage Foundation, my life's mission is to learn, educate, and take action. My podcast, The Kevin Roberts Show, is my opportunity to share that journey with you. I'll be diving into the critical issues that plague our nation, having deep conversations with high-profile guests, some of whom may surprise you. And I want to ensure freedom for the next generation. Find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Emily Jashinsky, culture editor at The Federalist and host of The Federalist Radio Hour, as well as CounterPoints on the Breaking Points team. Emily, welcome to the show. Hey, Doug. Great to be here. Uh, always good to have a friend of the show back on. Uh, always good to be back on. Exactly. So you are moving over from Hill Rising to the CounterPoint show, like I mentioned at the top. Uh, tell us a little bit about that that new program is like and what you're hoping to achieve with it. Yeah, absolutely. We're doing something really similar to what we did with Rising Fridays, uh, Ryan Grimm and me on Friday, so same day, <laughs> uh, same two hosts. Keep it consistent. Exactly. Um, but Breaking Points is independent media, and it's obviously run by our friends uh, Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball, who are wonderful and are doing something incredibly important and innovative. It doesn't matter if you're left or right. You have to appreciate the importance of building new media institutions that are not beholden to corporate sponsors, that are not beholden to uh, you know the super niche NPR tote bag audience, um, and have a, a business model that works and allows them to provide journalism uh, without any corporate benefactors. Sure. So that's the plan going forward, and it's going to be the same old Ryan Grimm and Emily Jashinsky uh, coming from the left and the right, but covering the news of the week through those lenses and, and allowing the contrast to help us all sort of work through what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, here at the National Conservative Convention, you gave a really interesting panel on the importance of building sort of uh, a conservative media ecosystem that we can sort of exist in without the influence of the corporate media that is incredibly biased against us. One of the questions I have about that, though, is while we build that infrastructure up, for lack of a better term, the normies that think the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal are reputable sources of information, maybe will be slightly hesitant to move over into those spaces, but we still need to have them on board. What is your solution to maybe pull in those people or to understand that those people aren't necessarily on the same boat as us? Well, that's one of the cool things about what Sagar and Crystal do with Breaking Points, and I've heard Sagar explain it this way before, um, and this was back when they were at Rising. They were like, this is a, a new media product that I can show my parents, and because it has the aesthetic um, feel of older news, 
it feels credible and legitimate in the same sense that people are used to. And I think that's an important part going forward is like new media um, doesn't need to copy the bad stuff of old media. Um, but I think, you know, having formal, serious spaces. I love Joe Rogan. Um, Joe Rogan is not a, a replacement for the New York Times, obviously. Right, right. And so the people who are engaged in these efforts to create parallel competitive institutions, um, I, you know, I think, I think it actually does go a really long way mm. to putting stuff behind the aesthetics, putting stuff behind the delivery. You know, how many people have... Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're recording here like a little inside baseball with professional audio. There's an audio engineer right. here. Thanks, checking John Pop. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that stuff, I think, is really important because you can have the best ideas in the world. And if they're in a, you know, if they're, if they're not delivered uh, right, in a right. way that's uh, intelligible, you're not going to have a lot of credibility. So I think, you know, we're actually really putting a lot of effort into the, the style and quality of delivery is important. Mm -hmm. So I guess is that then maybe where a lot of these places are still getting their legitimacy from is the aesthetic of legitimacy because obviously a CNN and, a, and a, you know, a New York Times like we're talking about don't have that actual credibility behind them. Is it simply just a veneer? Isn't that funny? Because the Russia conspiracy hoax basically should have been on a blog. Right. Right. Like it was instead on the pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post to the point where they won Pulitzer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do think the aesthetic helps a lot, but also just the fact that it's run by uh, a club mm. that is exclusive and self-serving and they will self-perpetuate. You right. know, if, if uh, the New York Times reports something with three anonymous sources, well, the Washington Post will then report what the New York Times reported and CNN will cover it on its airwaves. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a vicious cycle, basically. So disrupting that and having credible people who actually know how to do really good journalism. For instance, on the panel that I was on, uh, Christina Peshaw, who works for the DeSantis campaign, was talking about the efforts that they've made, you know, to... Uh, have events where only fair journalists are allowed. Um, I don't want a world where those fair journalists who, who want to do a good job and are fair-minded don't know how to do the basics of reporting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, like a little plug, like that's what we do at the National Journalism Center and, and YAF is equipping, you know, conservative-minded journalists with the ability to say, I'm going to go into this event hosted by a politician. Even if I like the politician, I'm going to cover it right. as if I don't, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's important. And I do, I mean, I I worry about that a little bit just because new institutions, you know, don't have the muscle memory. But I, I mean, that's a great future right. uh, where the old guard is totally disrupted. Right. Well, that I mean, one of the things that, that kind of brings up is critics of this idea that we'll just build up another conservative ecosystem you see that then the reality would be there is a conservative media space and a liberal media space mm -hmm. and then you either are one or the other and now we have two different realities. How does that sort of play out in a country as one, big as ours, and two, as integrated as ours, where there's people who might watch Fox News in New York and people who might watch CNN in Texas? Yeah, I think there's still a space, if we're talking about media in particular, for wire reports, which is like interesting, and this is kind of inside baseball. Anything you read from the AP or Reuters, for the most part, they're wires. They're supposed to just be, you know, Ron DeSantis said this mm. here at this time for example, um, and very dry and as neutral as is humanly possible. Neutrality is not possible, but as neutral as is humanly possible. Sure. I think there's a market for that. And mm. I think somebody is going to figure that out. I don't know who it's going to be, <laughs> but there is a there is a real uh, business opportunity for monoculture, whether it's Top Gun, as we discussed on our panel, whether it's, whether it's Top Gun, whether it's genuinely very good pop music, whether it's uh, genuinely neutral reporting, there's a market for it. 
it. And as soon as somebody figures out figures out how to do it, great. But for now, the business models, and I think into the future, are going to prize these niche audiences. You know, whether it's you know Stephen Colbert could never be. Johnny Carson, right? Um, but Stephen Colbert can be very successful by making resistance boomers tune in every single night, right? Um, and so it's the same thing you see on the right, and, and it's not entirely bad because you're getting better information. Um, you know, the Federalists—we're new media. We have a conservative audience, and that's great. We sure. love that. Um, but you know, there there will be an audience as well for I think neutral stuff too mm. going forward and to the extent that's possible I think someone's going to figure out how to monetize it Sure, I, well fingers crossed because I, one of the things that sort of brings up to me is AP and Reuters that are supposed to exist mm -hmm. as these independent sort of like blase mm -hmm. wire services we actually at the Daily Signal had an issue with Reuters where they misrepresented some of our reporting so some of these traditional wire services aren't doing that is there a reason why that seems to have shifted? Yeah, it's, it's why uh, we have our students at NJC what I call the most important book that, about journalism that has nothing to do with journalism. It's mm -hmm. Coming Apart by Charles Murray because the reason is that these cultural uh, these cultural differences and elite sorting, so into literal super zips, like you can do this down to a zip code. Um, people tend to be higher education, higher income, but that more than ever before in our history means they also have different cultural tastes. Right. And this is because of the great splintering, right? So like they're going to be watching, you know, Modern Family, everyone yeah. else is watching Blue Bloods, like whatever mm -hmm. it is. And these touchstones are really important. You know, if, if you don't drive a car, you have a different perspective on gas prices right, um, right. or you don't have a perspective on gas prices. So, yeah, these these things are really, really, really important. And the AP is a great example because they changed their style guide years ago to be sure that preferred pronouns were right. respected in AP style. And right. that goes to every single newsroom right. that copies or follows AP style guide. Um, and they made that decision right away. And that went a very long way towards normalizing yeah. this poisonous and harmful ideology. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's it's because they all tend to have gone through the same colleges, they live in the same places, they socialize with the same people, they watch the same shows, they have the same backgrounds, so they think the same way. Right. Um, and it's not reflective or representative of the rest of the country, and it's now totally shielded and walled off from criticism right. because they've neutralized their critics as bigots. Right. So it, it just metastasizes into yeah. something very bad. Mm -hmm. Well, as you know, the rise of independent media starts to become more apparent and trust in mainstream institutions like a CNN, MSNBC start to drop, we've started to see a response. So CNN recently began to fire some of its pretty <laughs> biased pundits like everyone's favorite uh, you know, newsman, Brian Stelter. His initials are BS. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just realized that. It's perfect. That's genius. Yeah, I mean, yeah all right. Yeah. Um, but they, they did that, and they basically said that we're going to try and hew more to the center. Do you see that as being, being one, honest, or do you see it being as particularly effective? This is sort of similar to a question you asked me earlier, which I think is a very fair challenge. Is it possible? Because I do think Chris Licht, who's the new top guy at CNN, understands that monoculture is very easy to monetize if yeah. you can do it, that there's this appetite for neutral or perceived neutral reporting 
being as neutral as possible from war zones right. and in you know what the, what people used to associate with CNN. Sure, sure. He knows that that's good business. He has spoken out against Twitter. Mm. He's been pretty out in the open about the, his disdain for especially the place that CNN was taken to during the Trump administration. Right. So the question then is, is it possible? I don't think at an old institution like CNN it is possible because mm. it's staffed which with a bunch of millennials and Gen Z who have been conditioned to see anybody who maybe voted for Trump as necessarily bigoted. Like this right. is something, it's an argument that was made on these airwaves, right? That mm. like you, on CNN's airwaves that you are a racist. If you voted for Donald Trump, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Hispanic, you are a racist. Right, um, right. You're perpetuating a racist system. So when you have people who believe that in your yeah. newsroom, can you ever come to a place um, of respect that allows you to include a fair perspective of the other side? Probably not. Right. Um, but I think somebody somebody else, you know, that it's not in charge of this massive corporate behemoth, We'll figure it out. I think we'll see CNN try. Mm. Uh, I just don't. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they can fully sure. get there. If they're if they're still letting Don Lemon uh, slide as a as an anchor, I think they're going to have a tough time. Yeah, I mean, your your colleagues on Breaking Point Saga and Crystal had a conversation about this very recently, where they said the second that Trump kind of comes back into the scene, it seems like he's probably preparing for a 2024 run. This all kind of goes away because the monetization of having. Mm. non-stop coverage of this man will just be so severe. Do we see that also being reflected on the other side, where it becomes very obvious that AOC is just a perfect target and we're just going to keep harping on AOC? How does that affect the conservative side of the news argument? It's an interesting question because in my experience in conservative media, it, it kind of looks more like the future of media than old media does um, in that it's not beholden to... Well, maybe this is too optimistic, but it's not super beholden, in my experience, to clicks, mm. um, which is very, very good. Or at least there are conservative media outlets that aren't obsessed with traffic and clicks. Um, and their business model is not predicated on traffic and clicks. There are some that, of course, are. But I think having those institutions is, is really important um, and building those is really important. Of, of course, I mean, Trump is like... Like Trump and AOC, like it doesn't matter. Like right. people are going to click on oh, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, th I do think that's true, but I, I also think conservative media is now more and more aware, um, and it has more viewers and listeners from the left and from the center who cannot stomach anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That it, it's very aware that this is these are serious times, yeah. um, and they demand seriousness. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's a new, actually a new era for conservative media. And I haven't really thought of that before until we were having this conversation. But well, I do go. think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess as a one final point, your show, as you've mentioned, is very specifically formatted, where it's you, a conservative, talking with a, I mean, Ryan Grimm is a socialist. I yeah. think he's self-expressed that <laughs> yes. he is a socialist. Sager is a national conservative, a populist, and Crystal Ball is not. Obviously, she's from the left. Do we see that as maybe being more what Americans are talking about? Because it makes me think about like Crossfire back in the day where you had Tucker Carlson, yeah. but that didn't work. I mean, it, it went away. So why are we now returning to that? And is that sort of the future? So I think what we do is very different from what Crossfire did, but I also don't think Crossfire was a bad thing. Um, there's this really conventional wisdom is that Jon Stewart just destroyed Crossfire yeah. and destroyed Tucker Carlson to his face in like 2003 or whenever that happened on CNN where he told them that 
uh, crossfire is destroying the country, and it was like Tucker and Paul Begala, I think, and you know, you're, you guys are just destroying everyone. And, and crossfire was shortly canceled after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I have always thought Ben Zominich has a, makes a really good point about this: that crossfire in the public arena was essential because it showed a place mm-hmm. where you could have people who were willing to sit down next to each other, right. be in a green room together, yeah. and uh, have you know a, a discussion from both sides of the aisle on a daily basis. In the public, there's a catharsis to seeing mm-hmm. that in public, to seeing that in the news and in the on that on a major corporate platform. Um, at the same time, I think what we do uh, at Counterpoints and what Breaking Points has been doing since it launched, it's just a more interesting contrast right now because of the realignment in politics to pit um, basically the populist left and right against each other because, uh, you know, I don't think that's where most of the country is. Right, right. But I do think most of the country is probably, you know, with me on immigration and with Ryan on health care. Sure. And with, with, you know, me, with me maybe on, and Ryan and I are both on the same page when it comes to media for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really good agreement and really good dis- differences. Um, and I think that's something that moves the ball forward. Like today in, in my remarks, I cited Marx, yeah. you know, and yeah. Marx talking about uh, the corporate machine or industrialization basically erasing uh, sex differences and age differences sure. and nationality differences. Broken clock is right twice a day. Yes, that's right. But, it, you know, I, I think when you come to it with the perspective that we're in very extraordinary times um, and you're not just trying to make a quick buck and, sure. you know, that is very important and it's something that you can really not do on cable news anymore Mm -hmm. I guess as actually this this just occurred to me while we were talking what is to say that independent media does not become the very creature that it's set out to destroy there's nothing to say that um, nothing at all although I, I think the business model is a lot more promising um, where you're not reliant on these massive corporate overlords. Mm-hmm. So even being able to get on the cable guide, right? Yeah. Being able to get in the cable lineup um, and then depending on your ability to stay on the cable lineup and then uh, being in these really bitter ratings war with you know the new media, people can you know, really make sure that they're continuing to, that they are held to account by their readers directly right, right. Um, which is a good thing if you're if you're a sort of new media outlet that's a, a good thing to be held to account um, and I'd rather be held account that way than by traffic sure uh, or by ratings yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know I, I do think the business model is very very promising but you know, there's no guarantee where any of this goes sure. you know I don't know what's gonna happen uh, next year, like, we could all be gone, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if the, the climate change folks are to be believed, we only have, what, like, five years left? Ten five years minutes. Left? Yeah. Five minutes. Yeah. We're all going to burn up. <laughs> anyway, that was Emily Jashinsky, culture editor at The Federalist, host of the Federalist Radio Hour, and new host on Counterpoints with the Breaking Points Network. Thank you so much, Emily, for your time. Always happy to have you on. Thanks so much, Doug. And that'll do it for this episode of the Daily Signal podcast. I, for one, am looking forward to seeing what the future of media holds. I think that legacy outlets like CNN and MSNBC cannot die fast enough, and I'm very excited to see what takes their place. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Daily Signal podcast. As always, if you want to, you can subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're probably there. Uh, And also, if you can, please leave a five-star rating and a review. It really does help us out, get that word to other people. So if you could share it and give it to your friends and family, that would be wonderful as well. Now, Daily Signal listeners, I actually have some very disappointing news for you. 
this will be the last official interview I give with The Daily Signal. I've been with The Daily Signal for about a year and a half, two years now, and it has been one of the most phenomenal times of my life. It's been a joy and a pleasure to join you guys on your commute to home, on your commute to work, wherever you listen to the podcast. And it's going to be a real bummer to not be able to share these stories with you anymore. However, if you are interested, you can always check me out. I have new projects coming up that I'm very excited for you to see. So keep in touch uh, and, and keep on listening to The Daily Signal podcast. It's going to be a blast. All right. Signing off for the last time. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Doug Blair, and Samantha Rank. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.